All right, great to see you today. I'm very excited about the message I'm going to share with you. However, I want to remind you, Tuesday we're going to kick off our business luncheon for this year. I'm going to be speaking on the way less traveled, making right decisions at hard times. And uh, you can get online, sign up for that. It's Tuesday, 12 o'clock in the ground floor. But today, making disciples. When, when, well, literally, you look at Jesus, the first thing he did was got disciples together. First the 12, then the 70. It was like the way that Jesus was communicating the kingdom and transferring his understanding to the people was making disciples. When he arose from the dead, Matthew 28, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say, go and make followers. Although that might not have been too far off. He didn't say go and, and help people understand they're forgiven and they can go to heaven. Although that's true. But what, what really Jesus plan for you and for me is more than we just know we're forgiven and we're going to heaven. He wants us to be disciples. He wants us to literally be bringing the kingdom of God with us wherever it is that we go. Remember, he said, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, so a disciple, Jesus said when he's fully taught, he becomes like his teacher. So what I want to do today is just look at the book of Philippians, the last chapter, the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians, and just talk about some discipleship principles that we find there. Now, the apostle Paul was also a disciple maker. In fact, every time he went someplace, you find Paul had a bunch of people with him and he was training and uh, he was discipling them. Now, Philipp Philippi is one of the churches that he began. It, it is on the Aegean Sea, in the north of the Aegean Sea. And it was a Roman colony where they really encouraged Roman soldiers to go as they would retire. And uh, this, this city where Paul started a church had so many people who had been in the Roman government or in the Roman military, and he was there changing their thinking. For example, they were taught Caesar is Lord, but now it was going to be Jesus is Lord. They were taught that Caesar was the son of God. Now it's going to be Jesus is the son of God. And he just goes through and he talks to them and he's making disciples, changing the way that they're thinking and changing the way that they're living. And uh, we're going to talk about that later, about how you can know something, but yet you're not doing it. So you've got to learn it, but you've got to receive it. When you learn it, it's in your head. When you receive it, it's something you do and it's in your life. But Philippians 4 and verse 2 says, I implore Eodia and I implore Sintia to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, you might find this hard to believe, but in this, this church, there were two ladies that were fighting. Can you imagine that? Uh, they, they were having a little bit of, of difficulty. There was competition. They were competing. They were disagreeing. Now, one of the things about people of faith is people of faith have a bias towards action. They, they have a bias towards doing something. In fact, in Hebrews 11, in one translation, 12, 12, 20, 20 times, it says the same thing about faith. It says by an act of faith, by an act of faith. 
Meaning faith people are people of action. Faith people have a bias towards doing something. Now, here's the deal. We're to use that bias that we have, that bias towards action, not to fight against people, not to compete with people, not to compare with people, but we're to use that to stand against the devil. That's what we're to use it for. The Bible says resist the devil. And by the way, somebody says, well, when do I resist him? And the answer is all the time. You don't resist him once in a while. You resist the devil all the time. But these two, instead of being of the same mind, saying, hey, we serve the same Lord. We have the same spirit. We're part of the same kingdom. They're competing. And that, that, that is not a kingdom of God mindset. When we're kingdom people, we rejoice with those that rejoice. It's not, well, they got blessed and I didn't. This happened for them and it didn't happen for me. Years ago, we had started a church about uh, 100 miles from here. In fact, we uh, rented the local country club. I remember the first, first meeting that we had. We rented the country club and they had a room back there and we invited a bunch of people that had seen us on television and, and, and we started a church and, and uh, we handed it off to some pastors and they were working there in this, this town. And uh, I would go up and speak for them from time to time and meet with them. And a church about 15 miles away was having some trouble and they called and said, would you please come up and uh, meet with us and, and, and help us. And in a conversation with the pastor of the church that we had started, it came up that this church 15 miles away had, had called and said, please come on up and, and help us. And, and, and I, I will never forget this guy's rea- reaction. I mean, he's like, you cannot go there. He said, now you, you belong to us and you're helping us and you're blessing us. And you cannot go there 15 miles away and be a blessing to them too. Now, how many know that's the wrong mindset? That is not a kingdom mindset. A kingdom mindset is if one church gets blessed and the Holy Spirit's moving, it's like the activity of the Spirit of God is moving everywhere. How many of you know when the river rises, all boats go up? And when somebody in the kingdom gets blessed, we should all rejoice. We should all rejoice in what God is doing. Uh, we are all part of the body of Christ. And we're going to be judged, by the way. We're going to be judged on our faithfulness. You know what? You're not going to be blessed or judged by God by how big your church is, but by how faithful you are. It's faithfulness. And we need to rejoice. So there shouldn't be competition. In 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 12, it says, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, they are not wise. So it says when that, there's that competition and there's that comparison, it said when you do it, you're not wise. Now, for, uh, for every mile of expressway, how many of you notice that there's two miles of ditch? And, and the, the devil does not care which ditch he gets you in as long as he can get you in a ditch. And, and with this comparison and competition, there, there, there are two ditches. One ditch on one side is this. I take my strong points and I compare them to somebody else's weak points. And then what I do is I'm like, praise the Lord. I'm anointed. I'm great stuff. God, you're lucky to have me. I'm smart. And you're, you guys, you're not. That, that brings pride when we compare and we take our strengths against somebody else's weaknesses. 
But how many know we all have strengths and we all have weaknesses? And the other side of the other ditch is you take your weakness and you compare it to somebody else's strength. Now, how many of you know that when you look at them, how many of you know on, on Facebook, they do not put their B-roll. It's always their, their A-rolls. It's always their best, all right? And you see that and you take your weak point and you compare it to their strong point and you're like, oh gosh, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm going to eat worms. I'm useless, I'm good for nothing. One, you get depressed. The other one, you feel exalted. You get lifted up in pride. And so it says, you're just not wise. You're not wise. In John chapter 21, Jesus has arisen from the dead. He's with the disciples. He's restored Peter. And then Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. That was, that was John. And, and by the way, it wasn't that Jesus loved John more than anybody else. John just recognized that love. And, and, and he, was, he, 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 he received it. All, it says, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is it who would betray you? And Peter, seeing him, John, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about that man? Well, God, I know what's going to happen to me because Jesus has just told him what was going to happen to him. He says, I know what's going to happen to me, but what about him? And Jesus said, shut up. None of your business. <laughs> that, that, that's my translation. Hear what he said. If I will to he that he remains till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. Don't worry about what's happening with somebody else. Don't compare what's going on in your life to what's going on in somebody else's life. Again, we're going to be judged by faithfulness to what God has called us to do and not by what somebody else did, not by what goes on in their life, but our life. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We need to control our emotions and our attitudes. Jesus said it this way. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Now, we live in a society today that basically believes that whatever emotion you feel is legitimate and right, and you just go with your emotions. But the Bible does not teach that. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let there be depression. Don't let there be dread. Don't let your emotions move you and rule your life. One of the signs of being mature spiritually is that you don't let your emotions govern your life. Don't let an attitude downgrade you because of an event, a person, an emotion, a circumstance, but keep that attitude of faith. The Bible says since we have the same, the identical spirit or attitude of faith. And there's always going to be, whenever, whenever you're, you have that attitude of faith, there's always going to be people that are going to try to pull you down to their level. Always. When David shows up in the Valley of Elah where Goliath is saying, send me a man to fight. And, and David says, hey, I, I'll go. First thing that happens is his older brother, Elib, said, I know the insolence in your heart. You've come to see the battle. And with who have you left those few sheep in the wilderness, you little brat? Trying to pull him down. And then he goes before King Saul. And Saul looks at him and says, there is no way you can go and fight that giant. You're just a kid. 
And he's been a man of war since his youth. What were they trying to do? They're trying to pull them down to the level of, 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 of their lack of faith. When Joshua and Caleb came back from spying out the land with 10 other spies, 10 spies said, we cannot take this land. There's seven nations. There's walled cities. There's giants. We cannot go in. Joshua and Caleb stood up and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome. Now, they had that attitude of faith. Remember, he said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He's saying we've got to have this attitude of faith. We've got to keep on believing. Now, when Paul and Silas were thrown in prison, the Bible says they've been preaching. They're thrown in prison. They whip them. Their backs are bleeding. They put them in the prison. They put their hands and their feet in stocks. And there they are. It's midnight. It's dark. The problem was that they had their backs bleeding. The enemies had put their hands and their feet in stocks. They were chained up, but they hadn't put any duct tape over their mouth. And they began to lift their voice and they began to praise God and they began to worship God. And when they did, let me just, let me just say something here. Uh, uh, I, I took psychology 101 in, 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 in college. I remember Pablo's dog and all that stuff. Uh, here's one of the things that they taught us. They, they, they said to change emotions, you cannot rationalize and change emotions. He said, you, you, you cannot think your way into a better emotion, but you can act your way. You can act your way into different emotions. In other words, your thoughts are not as powerful as your actions. And when they begin to rejoice, when they begin to worship, when they begin to lift their voice, not only did their attitude begin to lift, all right, but the Spirit of God began to move. The Bible says the Spirit of God shook that place and everybody's chains fell off and they were all set free. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice and don't let the situation, the circumstances and event pull you down. It says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 1, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not get discouraged. We don't lose heart. One translation says another, we don't get discouraged. And I know the enemy attacks Christians with discouragement. But the Bible says, begin to rejoice, lift up your voice, keep on rejoicing. And the Spirit of God is going to move in your heart and is going to be move in your situation. Philippians 4, 5, let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Let your moderation be known to all men. In other words, be disciplined, be self-controlled. Now, as a believer, I think you know this. But, but uh, people watch you. People watch you. I remember uh, we were pastoring here and, and, uh, when we brought our kids up. We've got four kids. And inevitably, people would come to our kids and they would say like, well, how old do you have to be to date? And can you do this? And can you do that? And can you do the next thing? And can you, they, 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 what are the pastor's, pastor's kids? What are the rules that, you, that your parents have for you? 
Now, this is what we told our kids growing up. I said, we have no expectation of you because you're pastor's kids. Now, people might have expectations, but we've got none. We have no expectation of you because you're a pastor's kid, the PK. And we do things because they're right. And we don't do things because they're wrong. It's not a matter of, oh, you're the pastor's kid. It's a matter of you're a Christian. You're a disciple. And this is what disciples do. And this is what disciples don't do. So people watch you. They watch you on your good days. They watch you on the bad days. They look at your attitude. They look at your, how do you handle your marriage? How do you handle money? How do you handle things when they're good? How do you handle them when they're bad? And as disciples of Jesus, we are consistent. We're just, we just keep on serving him day in, day out. I remember years ago, we had, we had pastored, we had pastored. We had started a church about 150 miles away from here, different church. All right. And uh, the pastor called me up one day. And if I remember what, his daughter was a senior in high school at the time. And she had gotten pregnant. And he called up and he said, Pastor, he said, my daughter's pregnant. I've just failed. He said, uh, I'm resigning. I said, you, you just need to find somebody to come up here and take over the church. And, and this is what I said to him. I said, no. I said, you are not resigning. I said, you're going to be an example to people on how to go through hard times with your family. I said, you're going to love your daughter. You're going to forgive your daughter. You're going to stand with your daughter. You're going to help your daughter with that child. And you're going to show people how to love and how to stand with somebody in hard times. How many of you know we're supposed to be an example? Be an example in every th part of our life. We're just supposed to be an example. We do what's right because it's right. Not because, because we're a pastor or because somebody's watching. We do it because it's right. In Numbers 27, Moses knows that he's about to go to heaven. And he says, God, we need another leader. And he's praying. And he says, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and come in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in. Now, when Moses talks about a leader, a Christian, we would say today, he says he needs to go out and come in before people. In other words, he needs to be an example. Just that simple. Needs to be an example. How many of you know none of us are perfect? But we're working on stuff. Are you working on some stuff? I'm working on some stuff. We just keep working on it. We keep doing what's right. And, and, the, and Moses said, he said, they're going to be an example on how to go out, how to come in, how do you live? And then he said that he may bring them out or take them out and bring them in. You see, you're living it and then you can help other people live it. You just simply be an example, day in, day out. Philippians 4, verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now remember, he's, he's helping them be disciples. And this is what he says, very bluntly, he says, pray about everything. Pray about everything. Listen, we need to pray more then we're on social media. We need to pray more than we're watching Fox News. We, 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 need, we need to make prayer a priority. Time every day to talk to God, to listen, to be in his word. It helps us keep perspective. I don't know if you realize this, but you need God. I need God. 
I mean, when I understand why people worry, but we worry because we don't put God in the equation. It's but when we pray, we bring God into the equation. It helps us realize we need God, that we're limited. It keeps us humble. It keeps us thankful. You can't win for the kingdom on your own. Every prayer, every victory in the kingdom of God is a prayer victory. It's an obedience victory. Prayer takes the stress of disappointment and the problems that we're in and gives them to God. We need his wisdom. We need his power. We need his strength. We need his direction. We need his provision. And when we pray, we're saying, God, I need you. It is a sign of true humility when we pray. Disciples pray. Disciples lead in prayer. My prayer protects, listen, prayer protects people from you. My prayer protects people from my ego, from wrong attitudes, from wrong statements, from wrongdoing. It keeps me in touch with God. Verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ. You know, as you follow the Lord, there is going to be opposition, direct demonic opposition. But there's just going to be turmoil in your, how many of you know there's some turmoil? Uh, It may be turmoil in your relationships, with your marriage, your kids, It may be some of you, you're looking at your family and and there's turmoil because of gangs and prison and drugs and sexual orientation and business turmoil and cultural turmoil and political turmoil. But God wants to bring peace into our situation. He wants to bring peace. Now, in Isaiah, it talks about Jesus, particularly uh, it's talking about his return. And it says that the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called mighty counselor, everlasting father, the prince of peace, the prince of peace. But when is he the prince of peace? When the government is on his shoulders. That's when he's the prince of peace. How many of you know Jesus is coming back to execute judgment on the ungodly? That's what the Bible says. That's what he's coming back to do. And then the government's going to be on his shoulders. And then he will be recognized as the prince of peace. After the wrong that's in this world is dealt with. And and, and in our lives, he becomes the prince of peace. When we get our priorities, when our priorities come in line with God's priorities, when his kingdom comes, That's when the peace comes. And that's why prayer is so important. We lose our peace when our priorities are wrong, are not his priorities. And we lose our peace when our pace is not God's pace. So we've got to move at his pace and we've got to move with his priorities. We've got to confront some things in our lives. And then the peace of God, that peace of God, he becomes our prince of peace. Philippians 4, 9. And the things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I, I'm not going to hit everything that's in this verse, but notice 
the things that you've learned and received. He said, there's things that you saw in me. Now, number one is we need to be connected with people that are ahead of us in their spiritual journey. We need to be, con- the, 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 the Christian life, the, the life of the disciple cannot be lived alone. We need to be connected. That's one of the reasons we're in church. We're connected. We're encouraging each other. How many of you know the world is not going to encourage you to follow Jesus? It is going to discourage you. But today we're being encouraged. So be connected to people that are ahead of us in our journey. But notice he said the things that you've learned and received. So first of all, we learn. And when we learn, we know. When we learn, it's something in our head. But it's not enough to just learn. We've got to receive it. And literally, it's like that attitude of faith that, that God is going to bring us through to victory. There's this spirit of humility that comes. We've got to have the same love for God, the same love for the kingdom, the same love for his word, standing together against the, the wiles, the Bible says, of the enemy. But it's the things that you learn and receive. So learning and receiving are not the same. Again, you learn it, it's in your head. But when you receive it, it's in your heart. When you learn it, you know it. But when you receive it, you do it. And how many of you realize that if you had received everything that you learned, you'd be a spiritual giant? It's not that we don't know enough because we know it in our head. But do we've received it? Do we have it operating in our life? See, you can learn to be a giver. But are you giving? See, you can learn to forgive, but you haven't received it. So you're not forgiving. You can learn that you should read the word every day, but you haven't received it because you're not doing it. You can learn that you should pray, but you haven't received it because you're not praying. You can learn that you can't do the Christian life alone, but yet you're trying to do it alone because you haven't received it. You can know it in your head and you've got the knowledge, but when you receive it, it's in your heart and it's operating in your life. He says, you need to learn, but he says, you also need to receive it, get it operating on the inside. We don't want to just have something in our head and say, well, I know that. But if it's in your heart, you're doing it. What we're learning, what are we doing? What are we receiving? If you learn and you're not doing it, you haven't received it yet. One Last verse. I'm going to skip to the end. Verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Now listen, there is only one account that matters. Ultimately, there's just one account that matters. And that's your account with God. That's the one that's going to matter. See, someday, every one of us, we're going to stand before the Lord. And you're going to hear, this is what you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And what you don't want to hear is, well, you're done. (laughs) 
One account matters. He said, I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. What, what is, what's significant in heaven? What's significant for eternity? You know, you, you, you sow an extra hundred dollars to reach the lost. You take of your time and you invest it to help others. And I've said this to the staff so many times, but what disciples do is disciples do inconvenient things at inconvenient times. Inconvenient things at inconvenient times. Do you prioritize the kingdom? Do you prioritize serving? Do you prioritize church? Down here, it may look like you should not have done something. If the world looks at you, they're going to think you're crazy. There was a widow, the Bible says, and Jesus is standing outside the temple as people are walking in. And the Bible says that rich people put in a great, great amount. And she came by and put in what would be about a penny. And she put that in as the offering. And Jesus said she gave more than anybody else. She gave the most. And the truth is, people with less almost always give more than people that have more. Because God's not looking at our quantity. He's looking at the quality. He's looking at what we have left, not what we put in. But do you know what? Jesus did not condemn her. Jesus didn't say, hey, go take that out and give it back to her. How many of you realize she gave everything and Jesus praised her? How many know it looked to everybody? If I saw somebody gave their last penny, you know what my temptation would be? My temptation would be, let's take 50 bucks out and give them the 50. Because that's the way I saw it. I would see it. But, But it says here that Jesus commended that woman for what she did. And by the way, I don't know what happened to her that day, but I believe with all my heart that God saw what she gave and God came in and God moved on her behalf. God's account on judgment day is the only account that is going to matter. And Paul writes to these disciples and he says, I'm not seeking the gift. He said, I'm seeking the fruit that will abound to your account. That you'll prioritize the kingdom of God, prioritize eternity. He says, because someday you're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account. And what we have done for the kingdom is going to be in our account and we're going to be rewarded for what we've done. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? If you're here today and you're away from the Lord, you're not right with God. You're not living right. You know it. You're away from God in your heart. And you need to get right with God. I want you to listen. God loves you. The Bible says in Psalms 99, he was to them the God who forgives. And that's who he wants to be to you today. He wants you to receive the forgiveness that he has for you. And what we tend to do is we tend to look at ourselves and feel like we are not qualified. That we've done too much. But no life is too dark, no valley too low, no sin so shocking, no sex so perverted, no relationship so appalling that the blood of Jesus will not reach down and cleanse, set you free, and make you whole. And if you're here today and you say, I want 
to receive the forgiveness that God offers me, that Jesus purchased for me at the cross. And I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. In just a moment, I'm going to say three. When I say three, would you lift your hand? And when you lift your hand, we're going to pray. God's going to meet you right here in this place. And as you lift your hand, you're saying, first of all, to God, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I'm coming to Jesus to be saved and to be forgiven. One. As you lift your hand today, you're saying, today I'm coming and I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus. Every part, I'm going to hold nothing back. Two. Now get ready. As you lift that hand, you're saying, today I'm receiving Jesus. He's going to come into my heart. He's going to bring forgiveness. He's going to make me a new person on the inside, a part of your kingdom. On my way to heaven. Three. Lift that hand up. Pray with me. Pray with me. I'm not right. Thank you. I see that hand. And I see that hand. Are there others? Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Someone else. Thank you. God bless you. Up in the balcony. Others. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Somebody else. Include me. Include me. I'm not where I should be. Thank you. Over to my right. God bless you. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. And if you lifted your hand, would you please look right at me? Would you move to the aisle that's nearest you, wherever that is? Make your way right down here. I'm going to come down here, but God is going to meet us right here. We're going to pray. And when we say amen in just a moment, your past is going to be gone. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. If you're in the balcony, please make your way down. We're going to wait for you. Come on down. Come on down. Over here on my right, back over here, back there. Make your way down. God is going to meet us right here. Now listen, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you came with somebody, bring that person with you. Bring whatever you need, but make your way down. Romans 10, verse 13. This is what it says. It says, whosoever, that means you and you and you and you and you and you, will call on the name of the Lord. Now we're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to call on his name. And then this verse has got a promise. And it says, will be saved. So in a moment, we're going to say amen. And when we do, you're going to be forgiven. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be a part of his kingdom on your way to heaven. All right. All the way from the balcony. So glad you made it. All right. Everybody, please just take one hand, put it over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven and let's pray together. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I surrender. He is my Lord. He's my King. I receive your forgiveness. I thank you my past is gone. That you make me a new person today. I'm a part of your family. Today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, yes, awesome, awesome.